Good morning, and a warm welcome to the service uh, this morning. And uh, those who I don't know if there's anybody who's visiting, but there's some who have been away and who are back home uh, just now, and there's some who've uh, been away for a while and are back perhaps today for the first time in a while. So it's good to see uh, you, especially. We'll join our hearts together now in uh, prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we can call you our Father. We thank you that we are uh, your children if we are trusting in Christ. We thank you that we have that steadying assurance that we are loved by our Father, that we are cared for by our Father in heaven. The God who is interested in every detail of our lives and yet the God who is sovereign and supreme, uh, authoritative in every way. We thank you that there's nothing that we can bring before you, Lord, that is too big for you to be able to to handle and uh, work through. You are able to do more than we can ask or imagine. And we thank you that you call us uh, as finite creatures, uh, grasshoppers in the grand scale of things. You call us to come before you and to bow before you in worship. And we thank you that you love us, that we are each created individually by you, that we are precious to you. And we can call you our Father. So we rest in your presence, Lord. We pray that each of us would know you as Father. Pray if there's anyone here this morning or anyone watching at a distance who who doesn't know the care of uh, a Heavenly Father, that uh, even today they may trust in in Jesus. We thank you that the call uh, to trust Christ is a call which is made uh, each day that we are given life and breath. We thank you that every time we open uh, the the scriptures, we hear uh, that same call uh, to come to Jesus, to have our sin forgiven, to to receive the gift of eternal life, and to be brought into this relationship, which brings satisfaction to our souls and uh, that steadiness to our life, lives here, and the promise that we are secure eternally. So, Lord, we thank you that we can sing the the words of that hymn. We thank you that you are our vision. We thank you that you are the God who sees what's up ahead of us. Uh, We don't know what this week holds. We don't know what a day holds. But yet we thank you that you are our vision. You are the one who sees all things from beginning to end. And we can cry out to you, asking, Lord, that you would lead us and that you would guide us, that as we acknowledge you, that you would direct our path. We pray, Lord, for Anthony at this time, especially as he recovers in hospital. We thank you that the surgery last night uh, happened so quickly. We thank you that it went well. And we thank you that uh, he is recovering in hospital at this time. And we pray uh, for that recovery. We pray, Lord, that you would bless him, that you would be near to him. We thank you for those who are caring for him. And we ask that you would be with them also. Uh, We are conscious that our lives here are so fragile. We're conscious in times like that that uh, everything, every plan that we have uh, can change in just an instant. But we thank you that we can come to you, the God who who knows all things, and uh, we can commit ourselves to you uh, as we commit Anthony to you. Uh, Be with them and be with Christian and be with all the family at this time. Uphold them, uh, we pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are our wisdom. Uh, We confess that we do not have wisdom, not in ourselves. We confess that very often we uh, come to 
places in life and positions in life uh, where we don't know which way to go. Uh, We're not sure which way to turn. But we thank you that you are our wisdom. We thank you that you've promised that uh, as we ask for wisdom, you will not withhold it, but you'll give it to us. So we ask, Lord, for that wisdom for ourselves. We ask for that wisdom for those who are in authority over us as well. Uh, As we think about the nation and as we think about the nations, uh, we acknowledge, Lord, that you are the sovereign God, the one who reigns over all. Uh, But those who are in positions of influence, you have allowed them to be there. You've called us to pray for them. And so as we pray for wisdom for ourselves, we pray that you would give wisdom to those who are in these positions of power. They may not acknowledge you. Uh, They may not seek wisdom, Lord. But we, uh, like Daniel of old, would pray that you would have mercy on us as a nation and that you would uh, come near to those that you have allowed to be in these positions of authority. We thank you, Lord, that you're our battle shield as well. Uh, You are the one who protects us. Uh, You are the one who is able to to clothe us with the armour of God. And in a world where we are so conscious of uh, conflict and uh, when we see the reality of conflict around us and within us, and when we are conscious also of the spiritual reality uh, of the attacks of the enemy, we thank you that you are our battle shield, that uh, you are uh, our sword for the fight. And we ask that you would equip us, Lord, and help us uh, in the reality of uh, the difficulties and the struggles of this life. Uh, May we know your protection and your hand upon us for good. And we thank you that you are our hope. We sing so often in Christ alone, uh, my hope is found. And so we thank you, Lord, that you are our hope for each day and that you are our hope for eternity. We thank you that every every child of God, every believer, and no matter what we go through in terms of the circumstances of our lives, we thank you that none of us wake up on any day uh, hopeless because our hope is not found in our circumstances or our moods. Our hope is grounded in Christ alone. In his life, lived righteously, sinlessly for us. In his death, where he went to the cross to pay the price for our sin and in his resurrection, through which he promises that we will share in when we are trusting in in Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, uh, that you are our hope, and we worship you for who you are and all that you have done for us in Jesus. So may our eyes be on Christ through this hour and through our lives. May he be our vision, and may we fix our eyes upon him. Hear our prayers, cleanse us from our sin, empty us of all that would uh, fixate on ourselves. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, we pray, that we may on the Lord's day be in the Spirit uh, and be able to worship you in truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray, actually. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world. Uh, We thank you that as we look at your life in the Bible, we see a perfect life, a life where you are always kind, where you always speak the truth, where you are always honest, a life where uh, there is no sin. And Lord, we thank you that you call us to trust in you. And we thank you that when we trust in you, your light comes into our lives. And we pray that when we're trusting in you, other people would see uh, something of the light of Jesus reflecting uh, from us. 
Not so that they'll look at us and, and think that we are uh, special, but so that they'll see something of Jesus in us and be able to trust in Christ. So we pray that you'd help us with that. Pray for the boys and girls in school and at home when they're playing football, when they're doing um, relaxing, walking around in Tarbert or whatever. We pray that uh, each of them would be trusting in Jesus and that the light of Jesus would be reflecting uh, from their lives. And what we pray for them, we pray for the older ones as well. When we're out at the shop and when we're at our work and when we're with our families and when we're doing normal things, we pray uh, that we would be that we would be bright for Jesus. And we pray that we would be ready to tell people about Jesus, that we would be ready to, to tell them that Jesus loves them as we know that you love us. So help us, Lord, we pray, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And if we can turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 16, please, and we'll read from verse 19 into chapter 17. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked the sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that, you, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, let, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone goes from the dead uh, to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word to us. If you can turn back now, please, in your Bibles to the, the chapters we looked at, Luke 16, 
into Luke 17. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that uh, you would be our help now as we seek to understand and as we seek to respond in faith to all that you speak uh, to us through that word. Uh, we cannot see, we cannot hear, uh, we cannot respond without your help. So we look to you and we ask, Lord, for that help now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. You've all heard the phrase, um, hindsight uh, would be a wonderful thing, or hindsight is a, is a wonderful thing. Um, and we recognise that. If we knew ahead of time what was going to happen in our lives, we would, we would often do things differently. You know, if we'd known five years ago uh, what the last couple of years, uh, the last couple of COVID years would have, would have looked like, we'd have, we'd have lived differently five years ago. We might have started a business in, in the manufacture of face masks and hand sanitizer. Or we might have uh, bought some shares in Zoom, something we'd never heard of, going back five years. Or we might have uh, taken a trip out to Wuhan, China, uh, to warn them about uh, food hygiene in their markets. But you understand the point. If we knew ahead of time what was going to happen in our lives, we'd, we'd live differently. And in the parable that we looked at last week, and we're just finishing off this week, uh, we, we see in Luke 16 uh, a rich man. And we're given an insight into his life. Uh, he lived like a king. Uh, he accumulated masses of this world's treasure. Uh, but his life was short, as all our lives are. And when he died, he perished. He, he went to hell. And from hell, he looks back at his life. And uh, with hindsight, you know, we can see that he wishes he, he had lived differently. So I want to look at uh, two points, uh, taking us from chapter 16 into chapter 17. Maybe I'll ask Kathy Ray just to close the door, please, or, or Nana. There's a disco going on next door, I think. So with um, Luke chapter 16 open and this parable of the rich man and Lazarus, um, I want to look first of all uh, from the perspective of the rich man, uh, and he's looking back from eternity, from hell, he's looking from uh, eternity back into time. So that's the first point, looking back from eternity into time. Uh, and um, we know that this parable, uh, it's a story. It's a story that Jesus made up to, to make a point, to make a, uh, an illustration. Um, but the rich man in this parable, uh, although he's a parabolic figure, he's representative of many millions of real people who have gone from time into a lost eternity. And in a sense, from that lost eternity, uh, they send us a message through this parable so that we'll learn from their mistakes. And there's two, there's two words that I want to underline that are in the text under this first point. And the first word is remember. The second word is repent. Lazarus, when he is in hell, he is, he's told by uh, Abraham to remember his life. And then as he thinks about this and as he thinks about uh, those he's left behind, uh, the message he wants to send to them is repent. So first of all, remember. Uh, and uh, if you look at verse 25, you see uh, that this is what Abraham says to the rich man. He calls the rich man to look back on his life and to remember in verse 25. He says, he says there, um, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things whilst Lazarus, well, Lazarus suffered. And the rich man, he's able to look back and remember. And I think that's a point that we, that we can take 
uh, as instructive in terms of you know what what the experience of hell is if you read up on uh, on, on hell there's lots of different opinions on on what hell is and, and some people uh, would seek to argue that there is no such place as hell it's just a state of mind that's it's it's not a real place but jesus teaches repeatedly and very clearly even in this passage hell is a real place and some people would would maybe accept that hell is a real place but they would say well it's a place where you don't feel anything you don't know anything uh, you kind of go into a state of eternal unconsciousness uh, the term they use is annihilation so some people would say hell is a place where there, people are annihilated they, they know nothing they just cease to exist they cease to feel they cease to to know anything but Jesus teaches something quite different to that as well. Because we see that in hell, this rich man, uh, he's in that real place and he's very conscious. He's able to remember things from hell. And the first thing is he can remember his life. And we pick up the conversation at verse 25. I don't want to go back over where we were last week. But um, the rich man uh, in hell, he is suffering. He, he's feeling the pain uh, of the flames. And he wants some relief. And so he, he sends, well, he, he asks Abraham to send Lazarus so that Lazarus will get some water and just bring him some relief from the fires of hell. And Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received the good things while Lazarus received bad things. Now he's comforted here and you're in agony. And the rich man, in response to what Abraham says, uh, he's able to remember. He remembers Lazarus. He even recognizes Lazarus. He remembers all the bad things that Lazarus did have to suffer. And he remembers that whilst Lazarus suffered, he overindulged in every excess. He remembers that Lazarus, in spite of his material poverty, uh, was one who had called out to the Lord for help in his lifetime. And he was saved. He had faith. And he can remember that he whilst he was living it up in time, had no interest in God, no interest in anything but his own cash and his own luxuries. And now he's lost. He remembers. The rich man in hell, he's suffering, and he remembers why he's suffering. He's able to see that he is paying eternally for the sins that he committed in his lifetime. He's able to see that he's facing God's justice. And you know, hell is a place of justice. It's a place where the sin that we have committed in this world, it's paid for. You know, if, if we are going to be people who determine that we will not trust Christ, if you're sitting here this morning or you're listening this morning at somewhere else and, and you're determined in your own heart that you will sit in your chair and you will carry on life your way, you're not trusting Christ and you're not going to trust Christ. If you're determining that you will not ask for forgiveness of your sins, but you will hold on to these sins, then these sins have to be paid for. That's justice. And if Jesus does not pay the price for our sin on the cross, then we have to pay for the, the price of that sin. And so the cross is an ugly place for us to look. We see Christ suffer. And hell is an ugly place for us to look here because we see this man suffer. But he is facing justice. I mean, think about his life. The rich man, with all his resources, he could have brought the suffering that Lazarus was enduring to, to a stop in a second. It was just a little bit of his fortune, but he chose not to. And now the rich man, who knew nothing of suffering in this world, knows what it feels like to suffer. 
There's been a reversal. And the rich man, think about it, who saw Lazarus every day locked outside of his gate, for the first time he now experiences the reality of what it feels like to be locked outside of heaven's gate. And it's justice. And it's this rich man who, who, who deprived Lazarus of, of so many good things that he could have so freely given. He now knows what it feels like to be deprived of good things. So Abraham says to the rich man, remember, you chose this. Remember, you chose this by the way that you decided you were going to live your life. And the rich man, he can remember his life. He sees the logic of all this. He can remember. And not only can he remember his life, um, but he can remember his brothers. Because we're told in verse 27 that the rich man had five brothers. And we don't really know very much about these five brothers. Uh, All we know is that the rich man believed that his five brothers were following him down the road to hell. I mean, maybe the five brothers were uh, similarly rich and lived a similar kind of lifestyle. Or maybe they were slightly less, less rich than this rich man was and they, they had aspirations to be like their brother. And from hell, the rich man, he can remember his brothers and it disturbs him to know that his brothers are heading down the same track that he was on. It seems that part of the torment of hell for the rich man was the thought that his brothers were following his lead. And so he wants to send them a message. So what message was it? Well, that takes us to the second word. The first word is remember. Uh, The second word is repent. And that's the message this rich man uh, wants Lazarus to deliver to his brothers. And we read that in verse 27. Uh, He wants in verse 28 to be warned about this awful place, hell, that they had no thought of in time. And he wants his brothers, whilst there's still time, to repent, to change uh, their lives, to change direction to turn in faith to to the God who could save them. He wants this message delivered. Repent, brothers. See, the rich man now knows the truth. He went through his life either denying the truth or giving no thought to the truth. But now he knows the truth. He knows the truth about God. He knows the truth about heaven. He knows the truth about hell. The rich man now believes that it was too late to be saved. And so he he wants this message uh, supernaturally delivered uh, by the resurrected Lazarus to his five brothers. And he wants Lazarus to say to them, repent, change direction, believe, and be saved. But the tragedy is that uh, this message would not be delivered by Lazarus to the five brothers. And Jesus makes clear, even if it was, they wouldn't believe. And we can think about another man in, in John chapter 11, a real man, Lazarus was his name. And he died... And Jesus raised him from the dead. And he was a living uh, witness uh, of of the fact that Jesus could bring people back from the dead. Now, did the the crowds believe in Jesus because of the testimony of Lazarus, the real Lazarus in John 11? No, they didn't. In fact, they were so uh, determined um, to not believe that they decided after they saw Lazarus come back from the dead that they would kill Jesus. So this message would not be delivered to the brothers. But in a sense, it's delivered to us today, not by Lazarus, but by Jesus, by God the Son, who died and who rose from the dead. And he calls us uh, to repent and to believe and to receive eternal life. So let me ask all of us, have we done that yet? Are we going to be looking back like the rich man from a lost eternity on a life where we had so many opportunities to believe and we passed them by? It's an awful thought, but it needn't be that way. Because one prayer, sitting in our chairs just now, will change everything. 
we come before the Lord in the quietness of our own hearts and, and confess the fact that we are sinners, uh, we so much live for ourselves, as the rich man did. We're seeking forgiveness. We want to turn from that life. And we want to, to follow Christ. If we pray that in our hearts, in this instant, eternity changes for us. We're taken away from hell. Our sins are taken to the cross of Christ. They're paid for. Heaven's gates are opened. Eternal security is, is secured. So have you prayed that prayer yet? The prayer that the rich man wouldn't pray. The prayer that the, 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 the poor man, Lazarus, did pray. Lord, help me. If not, why would you leave another minute? Because we don't know we have another minute. So we see a, a rich man and he's looking uh, back from eternity into time. And he, he wants uh, this message uh, to be delivered. Repent. And then we... Uh, Come to the second point, and uh, I'll be brief in moving through this. Uh, and uh, we see Jesus. Uh, and Jesus is uh, speaking to his disciples, and uh, he encourages his disciples to, to look forward from time into eternity. Not to fixate on this world, but yes, to live in this world, but to have an eye on eternity. It's, it's kind of like um, Jesus says, well, you've seen that. You've seen how it could be. Now, don't live that way. You know sometimes how you can have a dream. It's night time and you, you have a dream and the dream is alarming and you wake up in the morning and you just heave a sigh of relief. I've had a recurring dream and it's 10 past 11 on a Sunday morning and I can't seem to be able to get out of the house. And I'm conscious you're all sitting here waiting for me and I can't get to the house and I haven't finished the sermon and I don't know what to say and stress levels are rising and I wake up in a cold sweat and I go, thank goodness for that, it's only Thursday. There's still time to prepare. And there's something of that uh, going on here. Uh, Jesus has just taken them into this very vivid picture of a man who wasted his life, a man uh, whose life led to eternal loss and had the effect of leading his brothers to uh, the, same, the same eternal destiny. And Jesus says, you know, we've had the, the story of the man who was out of time and who was lost. And now he says to his disciples, you know, you, you are in time, so be careful how you live. Don't waste your life like the rich man. Be careful how you live. Don't just live for today, uh, but live looking forward today from time into eternity. And there's four things that Jesus gives, and I'll just give you the, the headings, really. The first thing he says to his disciples, uh, if they're to live this way, is uh, be watchful. Jesus said to his disciples, verse 1, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round his neck than for them to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. Underline that. Watch yourselves, says Jesus. You know, we're very good at watching everyone else. We're very good at, at spotting where everybody else is going wrong. And the disciples were probably expert at seeing where the Pharisees were going wrong because Jesus was always picking them up on, or where they were going off course. But Jesus says to his disciples, now, yes, we see the Pharisees and we see where they're off track, but you watch yourselves. Watch that you don't drift off course, disciples. Because when you drift off course, uh, you also will cause others to drift off course. And Jesus mentions in verse 2, they are little ones. Uh, and we can ask the question, well, who are the little ones that he's talking about? And the answer to that is, I think Jesus is talking about children. He has a, a particular uh, love and care uh, for children. But it's more than children. I think Jesus also is speaking about uh, young believers. Those who are 
people who were young in the faith. I mean, remember Jesus, uh, he, he attracted all kinds of shady characters. There were tax collectors. There were all kinds of uh, uh, dodgy uh, characters who, who Jesus would eat with and preach to and who were coming to faith. But they weren't mature in faith. Uh, they could very easily fall back into sin. And so Jesus says to his disciples, uh, back then and still to us today, watch yourselves. Think about how your life and your witness will affect the people uh, who are around you. If we are to live wisely, we must be watchful. Not just ourselves, but think about how our lives affect the lives that are around us. Gordon quite often uses the, this quote that uh, he was given in, in police training when they were going through their police training. Uh, he talks about this guy who, who said, every contact leaves a trace. So if you're on a case and you're trying to crack it, remember, every contact, whether it's a computer contact or a fingerprint or a conversation or whatever, every contact leaves a trace. And I wonder, what kind of trace are you and I leaving as we live our lives here? And if our contacts, if our children, if our family, if our friends were to be asked about the effect our lives were having, uh, what, kind of, what kind of lead are we giving? What trace are we leaving? Are we leading people uh, to Jesus? Are we leading people uh, closer to Jesus? Or are we driving people away from Jesus because they don't, they don't like what they see in our lives and they assume that to be what Jesus is like? Be watchful, says Jesus. And secondly, he says, be forgiving. Verse 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Notice that, rebuke him. Don't go and talk about him. Don't go and phone six people and say, did you hear what he did? You know, don't go immediately to uh, ask for a, a, a session meeting to discuss uh, the offence that this has caused you. Uh, rebuke him, go straight to him. Have the courage to have the conversation. And if he repents, forgive him, verse 3, if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. That doesn't mean you keep one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, a log of how many times people offend you. It just means you keep on doing it. You keep on forgiving and I think Jesus here is uh, applying the lesson of a previous parable. Remember in Luke 15, Jesus, he tells the story of the two brothers. And the younger one goes off and wastes the family inheritance. Uh, and then he realizes what a fool he's been. Uh, he, he comes under conviction of sin. He returns to his father. He repents. And his father forgives him. Even though he's burned all the cash. Even though he's shredded the family name. He forgives him. But his older brother neither rebukes him when he returns nor forgives him but he sulks outside of the buyer talking behind the back of the brother to the father and refusing to forgive refusing to come in and perhaps with that parable in mind Jesus says to his disciples don't be like the bitter sulking angry older brother be like the father be forgiving and we struggle with this we struggle to forgive each other this is a problem in marriages this is a problem in family life. This is a problem uh, amongst friends. It's a problem in every church you go to. And Jesus knows that. And yet he still insists on it. One of the commentators, Dale Ralph Davis, says, Our problem with Jesus, our problem with Jesus, our problem with Jesus, I can't read my own writing, sorry. Our problem with Jesus' own word here is that we are often too spineless to rebuke and too resentful to forgive. Jesus requires of us the courage to rebuke and the compassion to forgive. Christian life demands both guts and goodness. A forgiving person 
is a Christ-like person. A forgiving person is able to lead other people to Jesus, but an unforgiving person not only harbors sin in their own hearts, but will very often lead others into sin because of the bitter, critical spirit that poisons the innards. So we're told, be watchful, be forgiving, as Jesus is towards you. And if we hit pause here, already uh, this is overwhelming. Because we know we can't do this. We need help to do this. And so the disciples, realizing uh, that this is just too heavy a burden uh, for them to bear, uh, they simply say to Jesus, help. The apostles said to the Lord, verse 5, increase our faith. They recognize they can't do it. They recognize they don't have it in them. So they say, please help increase, increase my faith so I can start to try and do some of this stuff. They recognize that they need to be trusting in God. And that's the, the third thing. Uh, Jesus says, um, he teaches them to be trusting in God. Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. And the mulberry tree was uh, known because it had uh, massive, strong, deep, extensive roots. They went down deep. Uh, They reckoned the roots of a mulberry tree would stay in the ground for for 600 years. They were impossible to to dredge up. And that's maybe a a good illustration of of the sin in our lives, the, the struggle that we have to forgive, the bad habits that we don't seem able to break. Uh, the roots of our sin go down deep and we're not strong enough to pull them up ourselves. We need Jesus. I remember trying to, to dig some of the roots out of the, the, tr- the roots of the trees in the, in the man's garden. I remember spending one Saturday and I thought, oh, I'll go out with a shovel and I'll, 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 I'll dig out all these roots. And after about three hours of torturous labor, I realized I couldn't dig up one root. It just wasn't strong enough. And they were just spread all over the the, the area. Uh, And so I gave up. But then a a year or two later, when Kenny Carrier was at the manse uh, with the the digger, um, I watched him uh, with the the big machine uh, pulling the roots out of the ground like, like pieces of thread out of a sewing box. Because the machine had power. And the disciples are recognizing here they don't have, they, they don't have enough power. They, they can't live the way Jesus is describing. And so they say, we need more faith, Jesus. And Jesus, in response, says, well, it's not the largeness of your faith that's important. It's the object of your faith that's important. You need to trust me. You can have mustard seed, tiny faith, but as long as it's in me, it works. <coughs> I've said it before, you know, you can, you can have masses of faith and thin ice but if you step out on the loch you're going down and you can have minuscule faith and thick ice and you can nervously stand out on the loch and you'll be you'll be held firm it's not the measure of our faith it's the object of our faith and what we are called to do day by day is look to jesus trust in jesus sometimes we'll struggle sometimes our faith will be minute but look to christ stay close to jesus he will day by day give us Uh, what we need to live the lives that he calls us to live. And the final thing Jesus says, and I'll just give you the heading, is be humble. And you can see that in verses uh, 7 down to verse uh, 10. He gives the the story there of the the servant. And um, Jesus is surrounded by now by Pharisees who are puffed up with pride. And Jesus says to his disciples, don't be like that. When you're serving me, be humble. You know, the, the best exposition of that section maybe is, is the verse that we sang, Riches I, I heed not, or, or man's empty praise, thou mine inheritance, now and always. 
Jesus says, when you're serving me, don't go looking for a round of applause. No, don't go looking to get your, your name in all the, uh, the bulletins of the, of the church networks. Um, don't look for personal recognition. Be humble. Be like John the Baptist. I must decrease. Christ must increase. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word and we thank you for uh, the stark contrast that we see between these two chapters. We pray that you would help us uh, to learn the lessons that we're taught. We pray that none of us would be like the rich man, uh, looking back from a lost eternity, remembering a life and so many opportunities that were wasted, alarmed by the fact that others are following us down the same track. Enable us, we pray, to be trusting in Jesus and to be living in time, but with that uh, awareness constantly that we are headed for eternity. And we ask this in Jesus. And I may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and evermore.